Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Hello and welcome to Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point. I'm Li Xin. In this series, I dissect stories that are making headlines around the world and talk to my guests to make up for the missing, some deliberately, pieces of the puzzles. Selfishness can be such a radioactive topic. Imagine a country, especially one that has received your help during times of nuclear disaster, tells you unashamedly, and that's the irony of it all, that is going to release radioactive water in the ocean, which you share too, willy-nilly, like it or not. Right, the topic today is about the release of so-called treated water from the damaged nuclear power plants in Fukushima, Japan. Now let's rewind a bit. On March the 11th, 2011, a devastating 9.1 magnitude earthquake wreaked havoc on three nuclear reactors at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant in Japan. A massive amount of water has been used to cool the damaged reactors. Now, 12 years on, what to do with the over 1 million tons of contaminated water before it reaches storage limit? In April two years ago, Japan announced it will release the water into the Pacific Ocean after treatment, citing leakage risks and a lack of storage space. The owner of the plants, Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO, said that an approach called Advanced Liquid Processing System, or ALPS, could extract most radioactive elements from the water. But it admits more than 70% of the treated water would need additional treatment to meet regulatory standards for release. As for the isotopes called uh, tritium and carbon-14, which are difficult to separate from water, Japan's plan is add 100 times seawater to dilute it. Does the plan have scientific merits? Well, scientists are divided on the issue. Some argue that this is a standard practice around the world, the environmental and health risks are minimal, and that the plan is feasible in reducing the risks. Others have warned against its reliability and durability. Robert Richmond, director of the Kewalo Marine Laboratory at the University of Hawaii, called it a transboundary and transgenerational event. The United States-based National Association of Marine Laboratories, an organization with more than 100 member labs in the U.S. or U.S. territories, released a statement last December opposing the plan, citing a lack of adequate and accurate scientific data supporting Japan's assertion of safety. In a nutshell, the debate is still on, and Japan has yet to produce solid scientific proofs to convince the international community that it's safe to discharge the treated water. Naturally, the plan has caused waves of objections at home and abroad. Hiroshi Kishi, president of JF Zengyorin, a Japanese national fisheries organization, said in 2020, even before the plan was officially announced, we are dead against a release of contaminated water to the ocean as it could have a catastrophic impact on the future of Japan's fishing industry. The Japanese capital and the Fukushima region have witnessed countless public protests against the decision. Currently, some 40% of Japanese people, according to surveys, are still against the plan, almost as high as the percentage of those backing it.
Japan's Pacific Rim neighbors have been vocal in their objections. Immediately after the plan was announced, China demanded Japan not to go ahead before reaching a consensus with all stakeholders. Two years on, Japan has struggled to win hearts and minds on the issue, even among its G7 allies. Germany's Environment Minister Steffi Lemke said during a G7 environment meeting in April that I respect the efforts made by TEPCO and the Japanese government after the nuclear accident, but we cannot welcome the release of the treated water. In the Republic of Korea, over 80% of people are opposed to the discharge, as per a poll published in May, jointly conducted by Japanese and ROK newspapers. The official position of the country, however, has appeared to have changed from one of strong concern to one of acceptance with the change of government. The opposition has criticized the current administration for prioritizing relations with Japan over the health of its people and the environment. Meanwhile, a team of South Korean nuclear safety experts who visited the wrecked power plant in May said further analysis was needed to determine whether the processed water would be safe and whether the system would work long term. In January this year, 18 Pacific Island countries, which are no stranger to nuclear contamination given the U.S. history of using their territory as nuclear arms testing grounds, issued an op-ed on a premier regional policy forum titled, Japan must work with the Pacific to find a solution to the Fukushima water release issue. Otherwise, we face disaster. On July the 4th, the International Atomic Energy Agency, the International Nuclear Watchdog, released a final report on the safety of the treated water, claiming that the approach and activities to the discharge of the Alps treated water taken by Japan are, quote-unquote, consistent with relevant international safety standards. But how authoritative is this report? which came out two years after Japan announced the decision. We will discuss that later in this program. China's foreign ministry said the IAEA report should not be a shield or green light for the decision and continue to call for its suspension. China says if Japan insists on going ahead with the plan, it will have to bear all the consequences. China urges the Japanese side to work with the IAEA to put in place, as soon as possible, a long-term international monitoring me mechanism that would involve share stakeholders, including Japan's neighboring countries. So make a decision and then have it endorsed by the United Nations and shove it down the throats of others. Is that the right way to handle a matter involving radioactivity? But how have the media covered the story so far? Let's take a closer look. Surprise, surprise, China instead of Japan seems to come under the spotlight. I'm being cynical here, of course. Here is how an American media outlet reported Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesperson Wang Wenbing's statement on May the 10th. It's extremely irresponsible of Japan to selfishly put the world at risk, one said. But his remarks were labeled false in one episode of VOA's fact-checked video titled China unfairly slams Japan's plan to release Fukushima wastewater into the Pacific. What are their arguments? According to the IAEA, tritium may present a radiation hazard if inhaled or ingested, but is only harmful to humans in very large doses. In addition, the release of the Fukushima wastewater will take up to 30 years. 
Compared with the radioactivity already present in the Pacific, the planned annual release is a literal drop in the ocean. Three Australian scientists wrote accessing Japan's plan. But, as I said, these Australian experts, however numerous they may be, do not represent the whole scientific community. As I mentioned earlier, there are many who are against the idea. As the statement of the National Association of Marine Laboratories points out, the effectiveness of the Alps remains a serious concern due to the absence of critical data. Someone probably hit the nail in the head in the comment section. The comment goes, if China instead of Japan would release this treated and safe radioactive water as they have gone through a chain of advanced filters, I wonder if VOA would fact check the critics and I'm sure there will be plenty. That sounds true. What is transparency for Japan would have been opacity for China. There would have been international outcry for sure, but hey, Japan is one of us, so let's go soft. Now, it's no secret that China-Japan relations have not been rosy, to put it mildly. So China is always on the lookout for blaming Japan? That's the uber-simplistic narrative we're getting from some media. This piece from AP says just that. China, which Japan invaded in the first half of the last century, has been a constant critic of Tokyo and its security alliance with the U.S., with the ruling Communist Party frequently invoking historical wrongs to rally domestic support and seeking to undermine Japan's global standing makes it look like China has embarked on a crusade against Japan, regardless of the topic or the evidences. Well, many other countries in the region are also seriously concerned about the release too. Are they also on a crusade against Japan? And when the same AP looks at South Korea's reaction, we hear a different narrative. The title of that story reads, South Korean experts say Japan carefully answered questions on a plan to release radioactive water. Let me remind you, Korea was ruled as part of the Empire of Japan from 1910 to 1945, and South Korea's relationship with Japan have long been strained until the current administration reached out. Why isn't the bloodstained history nowhere to be found in this article? No grudges here. South Korea is one of us, hence the different treatment. By contrast, the media's interest towards other critics of Japan's decision seems to drop abruptly like the ocean floors. I'm referring to the Pacific Island countries, which suffered terribly from the nuclear testing and the detonation of 24 nuclear weapons by the U.S. between 1946 and 1958. Well, this article published on Time recounts the toxic history, but it seems to be the only mainstream Western outlet interested in their perspective. Their concern is not about history, but about what will happen in the future. The op-ed I mentioned earlier, released by 18 Pacific Island nations, urges Japan to store or dump its nuclear waste in its country instead of discharging it in the Pacific. Japan's plan, the statement says, is not merely a nuclear safety issue, it's rather a nuclear legacy issue, an ocean, fisheries, environment, biodiversity, climate change and health issue with the future of our children and children, their future generations at stake. The Secretary-General of the Pacific Islands Forum, a premier regional policy forum, made it very clear the Pacific Islands Forum remains fully committed to addressing strong concerns
for the significance of the potential threat of nuclear contamination to the health and security of the Blue Pacific, its people and prospects. Now, I did a simple online search for Japan, nuclear wastewater, followed by China, South Korea, and Pacific Island countries separately. Intriguingly, the spotlight seems to shine primarily on China and South Korea, leaving the Pacific Island nations in the shadow. It feels as if the dialogue, especially after South Korea's shifting stance, has been spun into a geopolitical skirmish between China and Japan. Finally, Credit where credit's due. The National Geographic magazine took on the daring task of shedding light on the situation. In a gripping expose, we hear from both sides, the Japanese government's reassurance and the scientists' doubts. The concluding quote from the scientists is a chilling reminder of the uncertainties that lie ahead. Trust us, we'll take care of it, TEPCO claimed confidently. As we continue to hear diverging views on the issue, one thing we mustn't overlook. The oceans are the shared inheritance of all humankind. The way we manage the wastewater from Fukushima nuclear power plant isn't Japan's burden alone. Its handling will echo far beyond its borders, rippling into the global community and into the future. But when politics is involved, can the voice of reason prevail? Now, my guests include Professor Chi Ye, who is from Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. He is also Professor of the School of Public Policy and Management with Tsinghua University. He is joining us from Guangzhou, southern China. We have Lake Barrett joining us from Italy, Sorrento, who is former U.S. Department of Energy official, who is now Senior Advisor to Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO. Welcome to you. We have Dr. Arjun Maki Jani, who is President of the Institute for Energy and Environmental Research joining us from Maryland, the United States. We have last but not least Duncan Curry, an international law expert who's joining us from Mauritius. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us. Um, Professor Chi, let me go with you first. Um, it seems that we have two issues here. One is about politicization of uh, scientific matters. The other is the pure scientific matter, whether or not Japan's plan is reliable and durable. What exactly is China object or South Korea and the Pacific Island countries are objecting to. Currently, the release of the, the so-called treated water into the ocean and uh, is indeed a transnational, transboundary and transgenerational issue. And it will have a long-term impact on the ecosystems, on the ecology of the ocean, on the, uh, the human health. I mean, this is more than a scientific issue. It is an issue with ecological, social, and economic dimensions. We all acknowledge that. And the issues like this, we must find a consensus. In order to find consensus, we need the, the, uh, the scientific research. We need to, to release the scientific data. We need to have an engaged debate. But so far, we do not see that yet. Indeed, we have CIEA to release the report. I think that is just the, the beginning of it. And we should not take it as the last verdict. And we should take it very seriously and, uh, and to have a scientific debate and have a debate uh, among the people, among all the stakeholders, all the concerned citizens. That is what is lacking right now. I think the, the citizens in the world and government are concerned because we do not have this debate yet. We do not have an open, engaged discussion yet. And uh, so we must halt it right now and uh, 
do not release before we reach that consensus. All right, um, Mr. Barrett, let me go to you. You are a senior advisor to the TEPCO. You must have been discussing this topic or hearing about it uh, reported for quite some time now. What is the TEPCO's narrative or version of the story? Um, you have tried to communicate with the international community. How come uh, it seems that at least some of Japan's neighbors are not convinced that the plan is safe and durable? From a scientific point of view, What's needed here is to reduce the risk at the site, and we need to move forward and remove the melted fuel debris that's inside. It's being contained inside, but those systems are very old now, and they're, they're degrading. So we need to move forward with the fueling. And to do that, we need to make room on the site to be able to remove that fuel. The treated water has been treated, and it needs to be scientifically evaluated. It's been done, that has happened for the last two years. It has been reviewed by the International Atomic en Energy Agency, as well as by many others. A Korean de large Korean delegation uh, visited the site and reviewed the science that's going on there. The radioactivity that's in the treated water is minuscule. Uh, it meets all international safety and environmental standards. And uh, it's really gotten difficult, in my point of view, uh, from a geopolitical point of view, where different countries have different uh, uh, relationships, and it's been a difficult past for 100 years. But we need to move forward with the science uh, as to the safety of it, and it is safe, uh, and it is environmentally acceptable, and it is a small fraction of, of what's needed for protection in the future. Professor Makijani, um, we've heard uh, this uh, statement from the side of Japan and the TEPCO company. Uh, what is the viewpoint from uh, some of the um, scientists in this field and uh, from the Pacific Island nations, which you have been serving as an independent expert for their recommendations? Right, thank you. I'm one of the five expert panel members. Uh, we've been looking at this pretty intensively for some time. Our first report to the Pacific Islands Forum was issued last August. We found a host of problems with the science that TEPCO had done. We found they didn't have an accurate idea of what was in the tanks. We found they had no accurate idea of how they were going to deal with the water in the tanks that have sludges. Would the sludges actually gum up the treatment system? Would it actually work? What would happen if the water wasn't clean enough? Well, they said, we'll simply run it through again and again. How many times? Well, one of the IAEA representatives actually said, well, it could be 300 times. That is not a plan. All right. Um, I will have uh, the other guests to respond to what uh, Dr. Uh, Makijani just said. But uh, Mr. Curry, let me go to you first. You are more of an expert on the legal aspect and, of course, on the environmental aspect. What is your position uh, on this matter? And what do you think is the important messages that are not being heard now? Yeah, th thank you. There are two primary issues at, at stake here. Firstly, is the obligation not to pollute uh, areas beyond your jurisdiction and to ensure that the pollution within your jurisdiction does not spread beyond the area that, that the Japan exercises sovereign rights. In other words, a very clear, very long-standing obligation not to allow pollution to escape from your own country to the high seas or to the waters of another country. Quite honestly, there's absolutely no doubt this obligation will be breached here. There's also a general overarching obligation under the UN Convention on the Law of the Sea, which says the states have the obligation to protect 
and preserve the marine environment, again, not being implemented here. And then the second big concern is the lack of environmental impact assessment. International law is, again, very clear. When states have reasonable grounds for believing that activities may cause substantial pollution of or significant and harmful changes to the marine environment, they shall assess the potential effect of these activities by conducting an environmental impact assessment. Thank you. Well, let me get back to our American guest, Mr. Barrett. I know you are the minority here. That's why you're particularly appreciated for your being with us and, you know, have the courage to answer all of these tough questions. What are some of the points you want to address, uh, as has have been mentioned by our other guests? As I mentioned, the National Association of Marine Laboratories, which is a group of 100 uh, laboratories in the United States or on U.S. territories, they are objecting to the plan. How do you respond to that? I responded by saying oh, that data is now available. It is on the TEPCO website. People can go and see it. Yes, five, six years ago, there, there was uh, information was not provided as much but, as it should But they have been. released the statement, no. Mr. Barrett. They released the statement only last December. It was not yes, I'm, I'm, Yeah. I'm much familiar with that process. Uh, by which that statement came to be. They did look at the regulatory environmental impact statement. I'm one of the scientists that has reviewed this, so it's not easy to mislead me with numbers. You know that, Mr. Barrett. We've known each other for a long time, right? Uh, so uh, I'm a numbers person. I take my numbers extremely seriously. I have lived by my numbers for more than half a century. And this regulatory environmental impact statement is seriously flawed, and the IAEA has endorsed a plan based on a seriously flawed environmental impact statement. I'm not panicking anybody. I'm just saying you can't make a scientifically sound statement on safety on a scientifically flawed environmental impact statement. I'll give you an example. A recent uh, peer-reviewed uh, paper on tritium impact on carp showed that 500 becquerels per liter, which is one-third the level proposed to be discharged after dilution, 500 becquerels per liter would increase the rate of damaged eggs and dead eggs in carp relative to control water. Now, control water doesn't have zero tritium. It has some tritium in it, so it's also polluted. But this is 500 is more. And as you increase that to 5,000, the damage increases significantly, statistically. We presented this to Japan. The most important thing I'd like to say is the expert panel uh, over about a year ago suggested that the water could be cleaned and put into concrete. The concrete will stop, stop the tritium in beta. You know that, Mr. Barrett, right? Beta rays from tritium are very weak. So they will be stopped by concrete. Even if the concrete becomes rubble, the tritium beta particles will not get out. So this should be evaluated. It was not evaluated when we first brought it up. TEPCO falsely said, or misleadingly at least said, we've evaluated it when they had evaluated something completely different. Now, why are concrete would make room faster? I think you should persuade your client to look yeah. at it like 
Lake oh. Barrett. I'd, I'd be okay. happy to work with you on that. We have a comment who says by this Anton Zhang who says who asks, will the U.S. impose sanctions for a thing like this? Well, I know this is a probably a cynical statement or you know asking a question out of cynicism. But in real life situation, Mr. Curry, can the other countries just sit and watch, even if they are objecting to the plan of Japan on a matter that concerns them? Obviously. Is there any international mechanism in place or tools that the neighboring countries or Pacific Island countries can take in order to have their say and have their interests protected? Yes, there is. They can take a case to the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea in Hamburg and request provisional measures. That hearing would be take place very quickly, um, a matter of months. We, we've seen this before. There was another nuclear case um, in, in 2003 when, again, there was a very short um, time elapsed between the filing of the case... What and if Japan objects speech. to that? What if Japan says, I'm not going? Unfortunately for Japan, Japan is a member of the international community. They're a party to the Law of the Sea Convention, and there are 20 judges sitting there in Hamburg waiting to hear the case. It, it is already paid for by the public purse. Japan would have no alternative. They could, they could fail to show up, but the result of that would be an order against Japan. Oh, right. um, it... it so there are legal tools okay. that can be, can be taken now. Mm. Thank you. Well, time is very limited. I'm going to give each and every one of you an opportunity to speak very briefly about the way out of this. You know, despite the geopolitics, uh, there are real impact, real stakes, real interests at stake so for the people in the region. Professor Chi, you want to start? Uh, do not release the water uh, right now. Let's have a consultation. Let's have a, a serious discussion on this. Okay, Mr. Barrett? It's important that the international community discuss things. I agree with that. Uh, but the water is safe and it needs to be released to go forward to reduce the risk for everybody in this globe. Dr. Makijani, please. The Nuclear Regulatory Authority in Japan should cancel its authorization and the concrete option should be considered. Safe storage and seismically safe tanks after cleaning the water could also be considered. But concrete could make space faster it is a safer option and would avoid transboundary mm. pollution and dumping on other countries. That's what I think should happen. Okay, Mr. Curry, without having to go to court, what can be done before that? Well, the international law is very clear here. Japan has, number one, an obligation to carry out an environmental impact assessment. It hasn't done so. You will not find the word cumulative impacts addressed in the IAA study. Um, this is a 30-year process. You know, the impacts will accumulate. They will bioaccumulate in the environment. This hasn't been done, as well as the consultations haven't been carried out. That's the first thing Japan must do, okay. carry out a full public environmental impact assessment, and then it must Im implement the international legal requirements. Thank you very much. We have to leave it there. Gentlemen, thank you very much. That's it for this edition of Headline Buster, brought to you by The Point with me, Yu Xin, from the Chinese capital, Beijing. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Yu Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point, and see you next time.